Thank you, worship team. Let me share a couple things before we continue our worship through the Word. We need to take care of a little bit of family business for a few moments. And I want to talk to you just for a second on the Hope for Generations Capital Campaign. Uh, June of 2025, our loan becomes due. It balloons at that time. So June of 2025, we either have to pay off our building loan or we have to refinance it. Now, right now, we have a very good interest rate. Interest rates are pretty horrible right now. They might be better by 2025, but we don't want to take that chance. So what we want to do is we want to go back into our Hope for Generations capital campaign. And so this December, December the 17th to be exact, on that Sunday, I'd like to ask us to do a couple things, and that is that we come that Sunday with a gift that we give at a special offering for our building fund. And so just be praying between now and then, Lord, what is it you would have us give in addition to our regular giving? Now, all of us as believers, the Bible teaches us about kingdom giving, and every believer should be giving on a regular basis to kingdom causes. In our household, there's a certain percentage of our uh, total income that goes right back to the Lord because everything we have is His. And so we do that as an act of worship, as a recognition of where it comes from, and we give that back to God through the local church, and it's used for His kingdom work. And so He works in this community. He works all over the world through our giving. There are missionaries. There are church plants. There are ministries that are going on. There is relief efforts that happen all because of the faithful giving of this church family. So this is something that we do in addition to that regular giving. And so we just ask, Lord, what is it you'd have us give beyond that and come prepared to give that day? But then a second thing I'd like to ask us to do is that we just ask the Lord, what is it you would have us give on a monthly basis? Something in addition to our regular giving. We want to give this monthly gift each a month of 2024 to the building fund. And so we come on the 17th and we're prepared on that day to uh, make the commitment to the Lord and with His help and the best of our ability we will give that monthly in 2024 and we'll watch God provide for us. So here's the thing, the Bible tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 9 that God provides the seed to the sower. What that means is He is providing what we're going to give. And as we obey to give, then God always supplies. And so we're just going to look forward to seeing what God does throughout the year of 2024. And then I'd ask you to do a third thing. And that third thing is to consider whatever extra comes in uh, unexpectedly in 2024, that you would consider a portion of that or maybe even all of that to give to the building fund to try and retire this debt. Now, one of our families told me that I could have permission to share this. Matter of fact, they came to me first and says, why don't you share this? Don't tell our names, but share this, and maybe it would just sort of inspire folks in giving. And this happened this year. They received some money unexpectedly through some family situations, and it was $50,000, and they took that $50,000, and they gave it right to the building fund. And they said, well, just tell that story, and maybe that will inspire someone else. And uh, so maybe something comes in next year and it's unexpected and you just, just consider, Lord, should I give that to the building fund and do so? And, and of course, when we do that, we're giving to the kingdom of God. And God always blesses kingdom giving. Matter of fact, that's one of the ways, that's just one of the ways we lay up treasure in heaven is when we're giving to those uh, eternal things. And having these facilities is an eternal thing. 
Because even though these are not eternal, what happens here because we have them over the years is eternal. And there are decisions that will be made. There are missionaries that will be sent and provided for because the church has gathered. We've encouraged each other. We've discipled. We've evangelized. And so what we want to do is we pray this will be something that's used for generations to come until Jesus returns. And so right now what we're doing is we're setting up things for our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and those that we reach to continue to do kingdom work here for years to come and have the place to gather, the place to disciple, the launching point for missions as we leave out from here. And so please keep those things in mind and pray about that, and let's just see what God does uh, over uh, this, the rest of this year and then in 2024, and uh, we pray for His hand of provision for us. Two other quick things. I just want to say thank you to our senior adults. Many of them were in the last service who were part of a Triple L a couple of weeks ago that put together 1,500 OCC shoeboxes that we're going to pack a week from a week from this Wednesday night. So the the, the 15. So I. I mean, they worked hard. They were working up some sweating in there among our senior adults, but they put all those boxes together and they stacked them in there in the, in the activity center. So I am just very grateful for them serving the way that they did uh, to do that. That was just a great service to the Lord, and we're deeply, deeply grateful for that. And then I just want to say thank you to all who volunteered for our fall festival last weekend. It was a great time. There was a lot of people here, a lot of interactions made. Our evangelism team reported 30, I believe it was, 30 gospel conversations. We know there were two professions of faith. And so that means, that means 30 people heard the gospel. So we, we praise the Lord for that um, in conversations. And then every person received a gospel track that came. And then also there were, we had <clears throat> our Gideons also handing out personal uh, soul-winning New Testaments. As well, And so we just had a lot of contacts that took place, and I'm grateful for everybody who worked last week and uh, for your kingdom work. I'm greatly appreciative of that. Well, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, now we bow before you to continue worship through the Word. And I pray for clarity of mind, clarity of speech. I pray to speak with compassion and conviction, with authority, Lord, with great love. I ask you to use me as your mouthpiece now. I pray you'll take away distractions, and I pray you'll get hold of our minds and hearts to hear this word you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11 is the text for today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. For our guest here, thank you for being here today. We're studying through Hebrews. We started that back in February, took a break in the summer. And now we're working our way on through the book of Hebrews. We should finish up in January. And so now we're in the more practical aspects of the book of Hebrews. It's been a rich and deep study that's challenged me in my own walk with the Lord uh, and in uh, the uh, call to preach. And so I'm very grateful for the Lord giving us such a great and rich book. And today I want to speak on this subject, God's gift of discipline. God's gift of discipline. Now, when I was a child, I did not fully understand all the reasonings for the discipline that I received. I did know that I had not done something that my parents said I should do 
or I did not do something that they said I uh, should do. Uh, and, and so because of that, I received discipline. I did not respect authority when I would do what I was not supposed to do, when I disobeyed them. And so uh, I, I learned from discipline that when you do things you're not supposed to do, there's unpleasant consequences because of it. Matter of fact, I might better say painful consequences because of it. But I learned. I did not know the full effects of that discipline upon my life until I got older. And I was able to look back on my life and, and see that a large, to a large degree, the man that, that I was when I had this realization is because of the loving and consistent and caring discipline of my parents in my life. I learned from that discipline. Now, we don't always understand the discipline of God. Sometimes we don't always even recognize it. But God's discipline is for our good. The Bible says here in the text for today that we profit from it. He does it out of love. Matter of fact, the Word of God makes that clear in the text for today. As my parents disciplined me and as, as uh, Stephanie and I disciplined Savannah over the years, raising her, it was done out of love. But now God's love is absolutely perfect, and ours is not. His discipline is always perfect. Ours is not. And so understand that there are some things that we never learn as believers without the discipline of God in our lives. Have you ever gone through a series of things in your life, like one storm after another, one painful thing after another, and we just say, Lord, you know, I can't catch a break. <laughs> I'm facing this one thing after another, and what, what's going on here? Well, there's two things we need to understand about how God teaches us. One is, there are things that we never learn without going through suffering, without going through hardships, and trials, and difficulties. Some of the deepest spiritual people I know are people who experienced great hardships in their lives. Because of it, it drove them closer to the Lord, and they're deeper in their walk with God, and the power of God is more evident in their lives because of the suffering they went to. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, that, uh, that suffering, trials, and tribulations will produce uh, endurance in our lives and, and character in our lives. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, tells us we're to count it all joy when we enter into various trials because the testing of our faith produces patience or endurance. And when patience has its perfect work, then we are made complete. We're made mature. The Scripture tells us. And so God allows us and even orchestrates at times there to be difficulties that we go through for our own sanctification. But then also understand this, that sometimes some of those very same type of events that we go through, we're going through because of the discipline of God. We're not, we're not getting what He's trying to teach us. We're ignoring a deeper level of spiritual truth that we will not pursue on our own. So what he does is he disciplines us to prod us into pursuing those things that are deeper in the faith. I believe that's what's happening here to the Hebrews. These early Christians that were being written to here, they, 
At one point in their life, they had endured the persecution that they faced with a greater level of endurance. Chapter 10 gives us an allusion to that. Even some of their own possessions were taken. They were imprisoned. They were supportive of those who were captive and because of their stand for Christ. But now it seems there are some we know who had stopped coming to church, some who were probably contemplating it, and others who had an inclination in their hearts, maybe even undetectable by their own senses. And what God was doing is He was using the suffering they were going through and intensifying it in certain areas to discipline them, to prod them into a, a deeper walk with Him and a, and a deeper faithfulness. So look with me in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. And here's what the Word of God says. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not, res you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in submission to the Father of spirits and live? For if they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The main idea of this message this morning is that God uses loving discipline to produce faithful endurance. Now, these Christians, as I've said over and over through this series, were facing persecution. They were facing opposition. They were thinking about, because they were ethnic Jews, about going back into Judaism to find maybe a level of comfort and relief there. But they were being encouraged that Jesus Christ is greater than Judaism. He's superior to all that. Stay faithful to Him. He gave them examples in chapter 11 of people who were people of faith in difficult circumstances in the past. And when they responded in faith and obeyed, God gave them great victory. He delivered them. He he even gave some the strength and the endurance to be able to suffer to the point of dying for the sake of obedience. Then he pointed them to the greatest example of all. Verse 2 says in chapter 12, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look to Jesus. He's the ultimate example. In verse 3, he says, Consider him. Consider him uh, who endured such hostility, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. In other words, don't, don't grow weary in your suffering. Look to Jesus. Look what he went through for you. And then he went on to tell him in verse 4 that you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Jesus suffered at the hands of sinners 
and he died on the cross. It was the will of God that he did so to make atonement for sin. And the point is, you've not gone through what Jesus did. Keep your eyes on him. Trust him in the midst of your suffering. And then verse 5, I believe he slightly switches gears. And he brings another nuance into this, this whole thing. Look at verse 5. So he tells them in verse 4, You have not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten. So he's bringing up something else to them. They had forgotten the teaching of Scripture about God's discipline. A lot of times we forget what God's Word says about things, don't we? That's why we've got to be in the Word all the time. That's why we're listening to biblical teaching and meditating on Scripture, having our devotion time. So we're looking at the whole counsel of Scripture because we'll forget things if we're not. We need to be reminded. And they had forgotten about the discipline of God. And so the writer of Hebrews quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and he, he, he quotes that, and then he provides commentary on that in these verses that are given here today. And there are at least three things that we need to know about discipline that's taught here in this text. Number one, God's discipline is necessary. It is necessary. Notice the Word of God tells us that every, verse 6 Every son whom he receives is disciplined. Notice what verse 7 says. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That should be true of earthly fathers. It's definitely true of our heavenly father. He's going to discipline those who belong to him. Now, there is suffering that God allows for teaching and maturing us, even when we're walking in obedience to him. But there's also trials we go through, tribulations we go through, sometimes in succession, where God is disciplining us. He is teaching us. He is correcting us. We've got to learn from that. Now, let me show you three purposes for God's discipline. The first thing is that God's uh, purpose for discipline is punishment for correction. That is, when we're blatantly rebelling against God, sinning against Him, then he is going to, He's going to punish. Now, when I say punish here, I'm not talking about His just wrath, His wrath of justice. Because when we came to Christ, and we were joined to Him, and therefore Christ's death, His life, death, and resurrection is attributed to our account. So what that means is our sin is covered. Our sins and our lawless deeds He remembers no more. So I'm not talking about his, his wrath of justice, punishment for His justice. That's been satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a punishment of correction that comes because of disobedient actions in life to get us back in a place of obedience or to help us learn obedience. It's the same reason that we, that we uh, discipline children if you do it right. You don't discipline your children because of your wrath just to punish them, you want, you want them to learn. You're trying to correct behavior so they become better. And, and so we, are, we experience that as the people of God. Now, what father is there, and there are some, <laughs> who does not correct his children. You need to understand, as a, as a parent, then you have a, a job. 
And part of that job is to, is to correct. And let me just talk to dads for a minute. Dads, you are to be provider. You are to be a protector. You are to provide affection and sustenance. But you are also to provide discipline. You will rebuke your child at times. Now, mothers will too, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just talking about fathers for a moment. And what, what is tragic is passive fathers who just never discipline their children are not respected by their children. Their children don't respect them because they have just pushed over the boundaries and, 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 and they just think that they're, they don't have any kind of respect for their father because there has been no discipline in that life. But I'll tell you this, children who have been lovingly disciplined by their father, they respect and honor that father. Sometimes, by the way, parents make it their mission to be their child's friend instead of their parent. Let me just tell you this. You are the parent before you're a friend. They can get friends. They can't get another parent. That's your job. And I'll tell you this. If you will be the kind of parent that God wants you to be, then you'll also, at some point, be their friend. One of my closest friends is my own daughter. So what we're called to do is discipline. God does it to us because He loves us. Notice what verse 5 says. He rebukes. He scourges. That word scourge means flogging. It was a painful process that Jews would often use in, in punishing uh, people that had done wrong. The word chastening or discipline that we see here in the text is from a word that is from another word that means to train a child. The actual word itself that's in, the, in this text here can range in meaning from training to corporal punishment. And so God's discipline is always purposeful. It's always right. It corrects. It teaches. It encourages obedience and growth in a person's life. When our disobedience is great, His chastening is great. When our disobedience of complacency is great, He will intensely discipline us. And see, sometimes what we don't get is we get the discipline that comes because of sins of commission. We forget about the sins of omission where we're not doing as we ought as a believer. And there's discipline for that to move us out of that rut. It's for the purpose of correcting behavior and attitudes and actions and work. It's to bring us closer to Him. I, I know that when Savannah was growing up, there were times when you know, she'd get a little mouthy or you know, she'd be pushing the boundaries even more. And usually it'd been a while since she'd had a spanking. And so then she'd step that line and you'd give her a spanking and then she just, it brings her back closer to submission when those things happen. Same way with God. He, he disciplines with perfection. And so he disciplines us to bring us closer to him, to correct erring and straying behavior in our lives. But then a second purpose for his discipline is prevention. Sometimes God's discipline is to prevent us from further sin. And so we're involved in some level and he brings discipline to prevent there from being a further 
level. I believe that we might even make a case that the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, is, is referring to some level of preventive discipline in his life because see, he'd been taken up to heaven. He'd been shown these great things and he was told he could not talk about those great things. And so what the Lord did is he allowed there to be a messenger of Satan, a thorn in his flesh that brought about some level of suffering in his life. And he begged the Lord three times to take it away. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you because in weakness, then my strength is made perfect. And so then Paul said, I rejoice now in my distresses. I rejoice now in my tribulations and all those things, my suffering, because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, that, that was given to Paul so he would not become prideful at what he had seen. And maybe even undetectable to the great apostle himself, deep down that, of course, God and his omniscience knew. This man's heart was already starting to lean in a way of rebellion or pride. And so God's discipline prevented that from happening even more so. Let me just tell you something about spiritual pride. I've seen it many times, and it's an ugly thing. It'll hinder you from being used the way God wants you to be used. There are, there are other cases we could go through today where, where God disciplines so that we don't... I, I think of King David. I, I think, first of all, of some of the things he did off the bat, some hardships he went through, like when there's lions and bears coming in, taking the sheep away. One commentator mentioned this. And... And so they're taking the sheep away. Maybe David at times said, what in the world is going on here? Lord, this is, I could have been killed here. <laughs> what is this? But it was those difficulties where he had to trust God that brought him to a point where he could face whom? Goliath. <laughs> Just making sure you're all listening. <laughs> but then David really messed up, didn't he? David messed up and he, he sinned, he, he lusted, he committed adultery. Then he, committed, he orchestrated and committed murder indirectly, but he was still an accessory to murder. Well, he just went right on after that happened. He's clicking along, thinking things were all right. And, and who knows what else would have happened in David's life if it were not for the discipline of God that came down on him and taught him and maybe prevented further things from taking place. So the consequences of his sin begin to compact him, compact on him in his life. Prevention. A third thing is that God's purpose for discipline is instruction and training. As God's children, we need to grow, and to grow, we need to be disciplined. We'll never move in our walk with God in many areas of the Christian life without the discipline of God in our lives. We have to be pushed. And these hardships have to enter our lives and, and awaken us to what God desires us to pursue in this life, to make us into who He wants us to be. How many in this room have been in the military? Would you raise your hand? You've been in the military? Well, when, when, you, when you went in the military, you, you went into boot camp, right? And in boot camp, what was happening there is you went through probably one of the worst times of your entire life. <laughs> and you went through the suffering of boot camp because you're being disciplined, because you're being made into something you were not when you went to boot camp. By the end of those weeks of boot camp, you were at least a basic soldier or marine or airman or sailor by the time you got through with, with, with boot camp. 
And that was to be built on also. But it took that kind of discipline for you to be shaped in your life. Those hardships had to happen to prompt you and push you to be something you never would have pursued apart from that time of adversity in your life. God desires to push us beyond where we are right now. And sometimes we're not willing to go. And so what he does is he keeps disciplining us, to purge us, to move us beyond where we are. I believe it was happening here in the lives of these Hebrew Christians where they were once a little bit more enduring, now they were not, so they're being pushed beyond that. And I'm telling you today, my brothers and sisters, we don't learn some things in the Christian life without the discipline of God. We just simply do not. One commentator I was reading in my study told a testimony of a missionary in the Asia area and he said that this missionary said one time that he would never he never wanted to come back to the states never wanted to come back home and here's why because where they were uh, it was difficult it was hard and they had to depend on God they that they they trusted him and they pressed close to the Lord and they saw the hand of God moving They saw God working like you see working in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews here. And he was afraid if he came back home because of the comfort level here, he would grow into a level of great complacency. So he would have rather have that closeness to God, the power of God at work, than have the comfort of home. I don't want to tell you something. And for us, all too often... We need to be chastened out of our rut of complacency and indifference to move on with God. I was reflecting on this this past week, and there's many things I believe I could talk about today, but there's two things that came to my mind from my own experience over the years that I believe uh, are, are things that usually do not happen without the chastening of God in your life. One is, I don't think we ever learn to love in a biblical, truly Christ-like manner without the discipline of God in our lives. We don't want to love like that. And God will keep disciplining us, keep putting us in situations, keep putting us in... It it usually always comes with some level of suffering, some level of conflict, and, and He's pushing and prodding us, and all too often we fail that and resist His discipline time and time again out of our own pride, our own focus of life, many different reasons why we do that, and, and God continues to discipline. Dennis Kinlaw, who was of, uh, used to be at Asbury Seminary, wrote these words. Satan disguises submission to himself under the ruse of personal autonomy. Now listen. He never asked us to become his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve, I want to be your master. The shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. It is always from Christ to self. And instead of his will, self-interest now rules, and what I want reigns, and that is the essence of sin. And the older I get, the longer I walk on this earth and walk with the Lord, I recognize that 
We are often chastened because of a lack of biblical love. We are lazy in it because we get too focused on ourselves and we disobey God and we need His discipline. But I'll tell you something else that I think is almost always uh, in, in requirement of His discipline, that is to prioritize our lives properly. Because of the same reasons that I just got through talking about, Dr. Kenlaw wrote about. We get focused on self. We see this in the church today to a great level. And I, I believe I can trace it back to maybe a different shift in, in mindset in the church in the 90s. But we have a real focus on, on ourselves. And because of that, we, we kind of put, you know, God's back here. And we do everything else we've got out here as priorities. And it often takes discipline for us to recognize that. God begins to discipline and chasten us. And it's not until we are painfully in the throes of God's discipline that we're willing to reorder our lives. And we reprioritize things. It's because of our pride. And in these areas, we often experience wave after wave of discipline. It comes in many forms, trials, anxieties, problems, health situations, and more and more. And listen, here's the thing. All of those things can be completely unrelated to discipline also. And that's the part where we have to be discerning and listen to what God has to say to us and, and be willing to, to take some time and spend with God, which is another one of our problems today. We don't spend time with God. We don't seek that time with Him. Now, the Word of God tells us there is a proper response to discipline. Verse 5 says we're not to despise it, and, and we are not to be discouraged by it. And sometimes we'll complain about it. We'll say, why am I going through this? Why am I facing this? Why has this happened to me? But the first thing we should consider is the twofold. Number one, Lord, what are you teaching me? And Lord, are you disciplining me? Am I refusing to move on in my walk with you in some area that you're trying to teach me? Show me, Lord. If we'll ask Him and we'll seek Him, He will show it. He's not trying to hide His will from us. But the problem with us is we don't seek it. He teaches through discipline. So God's discipline is necessary uh, for us. But then secondly and quickly... God's discipline proves that we belong to Him, verse 7 and 8. And we often despise the chastening of God. We don't want it. Who in here loves the chastening of God in your life? Anybody? I didn't think so. But we understand it. Uh, and, and what we should do is this. We should be comforted by it. Because... It's proof we belong to Him. He loves us. And He's actively working in our lives. He's working for our good and His glory. Now, you know, people, they don't, they don't whip kids that are not theirs, usually. Now, back in the day, <laughs> you whip the closest child. But it, normally, it's not what happens. You know, you don't whip your, somebody else. You, you want to, that's why when, you know, when your child comes in and says, well, so-and-so gets to do this right here. And we say, what? Well, they're not my child and you are. But listen to this. Many years ago, um, 
a man in our church, his family in our church, their oldest son who was involved in our student ministry had a friend and that friend had no father in the household, came from a tough background. And, and so this father's son had got in trouble and, and so he was going to punish, discipline his son and, and his son's friend said to the father, will you discipline me too? You know why that is? Because he knew he was missing something he needed. He was missing the loving discipline of a father. But typically, we don't go around disciplining other people's kids. We're focused on our own. And loving fathers will discipline their children the best they know how. And I used to pray, dear Lord, make up for my, for my inadequacies. And I would pray that, that as Stephanie and I would have wisdom to uh, raise Savannah properly and discipline her properly. And I would, I would often say, Lord, don't let our mistakes be to her detriment. Because we're flawed. We, we love the best we can as flawed human beings. We discipline the best we can, but we're going to be imperfect in ours. But I'm telling you this, God loves us with a perfect love and His discipline is always perfect. It's always perfect. People that do not experience the discipline of God are not His children. And John 1.12 tells us that we become His children by receiving Him as our Savior. Thank God for His discipline. It's a sign that we're His. And, and let me just say this, and I'm going to move on. Kind of a related application. Parents, let me encourage you to discipline your children. It needs to be, uh, you need to affectionately discipline. That is, you need to provide the proper love along with your discipline. But your discipline needs to be consistent. And it needs to be effective. You know what I mean when I mean effective. Because what you're doing right now is you're training your children and you're conditioning them that they might be even more submissive to the Lord because they've learned to be submissive to you. You know why some people today are so adamantly against God's discipline? They pitch a fit when God disciplines their life because many times it's because they did not have that discipline when they were younger. And it takes them a while to get conditioned to the perfect discipline of a perfect father and that is God himself well God's discipline is necessary God's discipline proves that we're his but then third and finally God's discipline is profitable verse 11 says it trains us that word trained is the type word that was used in athletics training an athlete it can be grueling it's like the race itself remember in verse 1 that word race comes from a word that we get our English word agony from. It can be tough, but it conditions us. It's for our benefit. Verse 10 says it's for our profit. Verse 11 says it's not joyful, but it's painful. And discipline can be painful. Now, when I was a kid, discipline was painful. Now, my mama, bless her little heart, she was pretty strong, but... She didn't hurt, and I did not let her know that because I'm not stupid. 
But now my dad, <laughs> I did not have to pretend. Did that hurt? It's painful, but I learned a lot from that. Spurgeon said, if afflictions seem to be joyous, would it be chastisement at all? I ask you, would it not be most ridiculous thing if a father should so chasten a child that the child came downstairs laughing and smiling and rejoicing at the flogging? Instead of being at all serviceable, would it not be utterly useless? What good could a chastisement have done if it was not felt? It's painful, but it's profitable. And I'm convinced again <clears throat> that the deeper things of God are learned through God's chastening. There are just too many things we will not pursue. We will not move forward in our walk with God without being prodded by the chastening of God. There are things we're not going to realize without it. Now, to wrap this up, let me just show you what the Word of God shows here uh, are ways in which we profit. First of all, verse 9 says we, we have life. If we submit to the Father of spirits and live, the word live there speaks of, first of all, physical life. Do you know, as we've already talked about in chapter 10, when it comes to willful sin, that sometimes we are disciplined and we resist God's discipline and then it comes to a point where God may take someone to an early grave through his discipline. It happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. That group there, some of them were weak, some were sick, and some slept. That is, they, that's a euphemism for death. They had died at the hand of God's discipline because of their, the way they were causing division in the church, the way that they were desecrating the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And so it speaks of that. 1 John chapter 5 speaks of a sin that leads to death. But more often it speaks of the life of abundance that we can live when we're in submission to God. It means when you're walking with Him in submission, you've responded to His discipline properly, that closeness to Him, the blessing that comes from that closeness, the power for living that comes from that closeness, the interaction with Him that comes from that closeness, it is what makes life. And it, it, it makes life abundant at that point. But secondly, it produces holiness, verse 10 says. And God desires us to be holy. The Word of God makes that clear. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. You know, there are some people in our tradition who believe in the eternal nature, of, the, the eternal, uh, of eternal security. And there's that phrase, once saved, always saved, which is, is a very misused phrase. And so they'll say, once saved, always saved. That, and that is an excuse for them to live any way that they want to. And here's what I say. The way that we know we were once saved is how we're living now. Are we living in holiness? If not, are we under the chastisement of God? That may be telling us something. We're meant to be holy. And discipline from God produces that within us. A third thing is it puts us at peace. Notice in verse 11, there's this, it yields, that is, produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That means the peace of God begin, begins to pervade the life of those who are in right fellowship with God. We've responded to the chastening of God. 
We've moved on in our walk with God. We've gotten closer to Him because of His correction in our life. And now because of that, the peace of God pervades us. Philippians 4.9 says, Paul said, The things that you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And finally, righteousness is produced by the chastening of God. Right conduct. God desires us to pursue that anyway. 1 Timothy 6.11 and 2 Timothy 2.22 tell us that. We're trained by His discipline to have a righteous conduct. So when we're in trials and problems are, are coming upon us one after the other in situations of all type, we need to ask ourselves, Lord, are you chastening me? Or, or is this a trial that you're just shaping me? In a, but, but what are you trying to teach me here? What are you showing me in my life that I am, where I'm not moving on in my walk with God? And if we'll spend time with God, He'll reveal that to us. He'll speak to us. Now today, maybe He's already revealed that to you. As I was preaching this message, the Holy Spirit was speaking to you and, and put, He put His finger on exactly what it was. And now you know. And so you confess that right now. You repent of that. And then you get back in right fellowship with God and you move on with Him. For some of us, we need to sit and reflect for a few moments. Lord, okay, what are you teaching me? What, what are you teaching me in my life? For some of us, we just need to praise Him for His discipline. Maybe we've just come right through it and He's taught us some things and we're, where we, we're, we're at a place now we were not six months ago, a year ago. And we thank God for that. But let me talk to those in this room who do not have the chastening of God in their lives and you don't know if you've ever had it. Listen, I'm going to tell you something about you. You're in a much worse spot than anyone in this room that's under the chastening of God. Because the Word of God makes it clear that if we're not being chastened by Him, we're not His. And so maybe today what you're being spoken to about is you need to give your life to Jesus. You believe in who Jesus is, what He did. He came and lived and died and rose again to atone for sin. And you recognize your own sin. And today you're willing to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and surrender your life to Him and follow Him and He'll save you. And then you're going to be under His loving discipline. He's going, he's going to correct you when you need it. I'd be scared to death if I'd never been under the discipline of God. And so maybe today, you need to give your life to Jesus. So as we stand to sing, will you come and meet me down front and say, I need Jesus as my Savior. The altar's open. We need to do business with God. That needs to be the priority of what we're doing right now. Lord, I need to do business with you. So I'm going to pray. We're going to stand to sing, and, and let's obey Him. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this message. Thank you for your work in my life through the study of this text. Lord, the personal application in my own life. I believe, Lord God, you've spoken to many of us today. And now it's time for us, Lord, to obey you. So I pray you'll speak to us, show us things, Lord. Help us to move beyond where we are now to a deeper walk with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please.